0: Mike, Nick isn't here. No. I don't know how to feel about this.
1: It's, it's not the same without Nick. I, I realized <laughs> we went the entire last episode that he wasn't here without actually mentioning he wasn't here.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a different presence. Not only is a two-person podcast different than a three-person one, it, but Nick's presence is larger than life. We will, however, go on without him. And I understand he's probably out enjoying some pretty nice weather. So I can't really blame him per se, but I think we'll do everything we can to make him regret his decision to go outside. Un- un- and i undoubtedly a good show. we will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So I want to I want to blast through the follow-up here because we do have some interesting stuff we want to talk about and we tend to make this every week there seems to be something new with Tesla and something new with SpaceX and so these pieces of follow up I do I think it's interesting to discuss them for a little bit but not not necessarily dwell on them because there's a bunch of stuff in our actual stuff that happened in the last week that I really want to talk about too. And so I'll start with SpaceX and I just wanted to get your thoughts on this plan that SpaceX put out this week to head to Mars or at least leave for Mars by 2018 mm-hmm. with SpaceX. I don't know what did you think when you when you read that?
1: Honestly, I'm not surprised and it's almost mm-hmm to the point now and it's it says a lot i think about where we are technologically but for me it's closer to being non-news now that we've already landed on mars (laughs) and it's like let me know when we send a person to mars that's kind of where Mm -hmm. i'm at right now i don't know if that's a good place to be at
0: but it's not really clear to me whether they would send people in 2018 i don't think it is it's it would be like just a I guess not cargo, but it would just be they would be sending a vehicle, but they wouldn't be sending people on this first trip.
1: Yeah, the, the article that you linked mm-hmm. says the, the company is also developing a second version of the craft to carry astronauts into right. space because this one's the new small. version
0: is the one that will go to Mars. Yeah. So he he says it's the size of an SUV internally. And I guess that would make for a very comfortable six-month flight. <laughs> if you imagine going on a six-month road trip where you cannot leave <laughs> the vehicle or you will die of asphyxiation. <laughs> Can we just crack the windows? No, we cannot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I'm I'm excited because as far as I know, this seems like the most realistic uh, aspiration from a private company to actually do something like this and yeah this came alongside also this week apparently they spacex got their first military contract which is a first for a private uh, american company to be helping i guess it's nasa because nasa does military stuff as well but to help nasa with a military mission as opposed to just a civilian or like experimental scientific mission Hmm. so uh yeah it's, it's exciting stuff it's the their red dragon I guess it's the dragon spacecraft that Elon says in, in this tweet that he wants to be able to land anywhere in the solar system. I assume he means like planetary bodies, uh, like rocky planets and not not necessarily Jupiter, Saturn or the sun. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't put it past him. No, I agree with you, but <laughs> I, they, would, they would have to name their space landing probe Icarus. I have to assume because <laughs> it would burn up pretty quickly. <laughs> but uh, yeah the, this it definitely seems like it has to be the future of space is going to be helped hugely by spacex's kind of they're they're not they don't have to report back to the american public like they're not using taxpayer dollars for this uh in except for the ones where they're government contracts but they're not directly f- kind of funded by a taxpayer uh directly where they're going to be accountable to the taxpayers for for whatever moonshot they decide to take like this this mars mission wouldn't be publicly funded unless nasa was getting on board to do some kind of experiments along the way but yeah i think it's it's a really awesome uh, endeavor and I, I now can't wait for 2018 i was i was really excited for 2017 with the tesla 3 and now i have to wait until 2018 for something else cool to happen <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting how much of a long play this privatized space mm development is because it's kind of similar to alternative energy which coincidentally tesla is also involved in or at least elon musk is um but it's the kind of thing where it's not a huge market now and if anything they're losing money on whatever they're doing but i think the precedent they're setting and the expectations they're they're generating both for themselves and for competitors is the best thing that they could be doing yeah because they're basically like the ubiquitous company to do any kind of thing, thing like this. Like if you're not using SpaceX, you're you're not doing anything almost at this point. Yeah, because yeah. like and, and kind of the same thing with Tesla, like you're you're involved in the, the electric car space. But if you can't match what Tesla is doing and you don't have the same kind of appeal and, and technology that Tesla is using, then it's like, what are you even doing? Mm-hmm. Because they have been first market and they've done it very well so far. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting to see, to kind of experience it because, I mean, yeah, the whole military thing is going to be interesting because as far as I know, that would be not publicized. And so far, most of what we've seen with SpaceX, they've been trying to make it as public and transparent as possible. This is going to be kind of a shift for them to like, hey, we're going to launch our military satellite. T- we're going to stream our military <laughs> satellite launch. And it's like, no, we're not going to do that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm assuming there's a lot of... Revenue generated
1: from the military side, yeah, just because of how much money goes into to military funding, especially in the U.S. So potentially that's kind of a paying the bills Mm -hmm. projects, and then they can afford the moonshots, both metaphorically
0: and not metaphorically. Yeah, in in theory, I said I think I said I don't remember if I said that they were the first company to get military contracts. I don't think they actually are. Thinking back, like there's companies like Boeing or Lockheed Martin that have also had uh military contracts with the states, but I if so if I did say that, that was a mistake and I might have said something similar to that that's still true. So uh <laughs> but yeah, they're they're not the first to do this, but they're definitely they're definitely seem to me like the most modern thing and it's happening in our time which we haven't seen any of while we've been kind of conscious of this. Yeah.
1: Well like I said before, it's it's amazing that we're at the point where I can read that a private company's planning to go to Mars. Mm-hmm like send a shuttle or a, a rocket yeah. or a lander to mars and it's like eh. yeah it's like like not to that extent but it's like oh that's that's, that's good yeah but it's it's not like what yeah. how could they even do that it's like eh. it's like I'll, I'll be i'll be impressed when i see a person on mars yeah,
0: for sure so the next piece of follow-up here is from tesla and I, well it's from volvo technically but talking about tesla and basically hyping their own autonomous like semi-autonomous uh, driving system and throwing shade at Tesla's system for being <laughs> super primitive. Like Volvo, as far as I know, doesn't have any cars with any kind of self-driving capabilities outside of maybe parking or you know the lane assist those those technologies that exist in cars right now. um But basically, saying you've seen Tesla's self-driving system, the self-driving system we're gonna launch that you haven't seen anything about yet. It's gonna be so much better. We're testing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so apparently i think we might have t- touched on this before but they've come up with a kind of system of levels of autonomy of self-driving cars and basically the amount the number you can get is i think level one is something like the thing that most new cars have now or the like self uh, parallel parking thing where you just push the button that would be level one like that's the most basic kind of thing where it does this very small controlled like the We always talk in in automation about solved problems, like the game of checkers, I think, is a solved game. Um, Parallel parking is a thing that if you follow an exact set of computational instructions, you will parallel park properly every single time. And so I think parallel parking is kind of a solved problem in AI for cars, but things like lane assist and brake assist and all of those kinds of technologies are level two technologies. And tesla puts themselves in that camp where if something goes wrong the system like sounds a warning in the car and says take over control take over control we can't handle this and then the system will just turn itself off because it's basically saying like jesus take the wheel and (laughs) uh, (laughs) if like if, if the person if the driver passes out or something that car is gonna crash uh because the 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 ai can only do so much and they they literally are legally saying we are not responsible for a crash. You have to be paying attention. You have to have your hands on the wheel at all times, even if we're going to provide little assists. And the, the guy at Volvo who's, help, or who's working on this project might even be the head of the project mm-hmm. says that the Honda technology is the next level up where they will, they can actually, in the case of an emergency, they will stop the car and pull over to the side of the road safely. Like they'll finish the emergency. Whereas Tesla is like, nope. We're not doing anything. Uh it's your fault if you get in a crash still.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm just looking up the the autonomy levels. because mm-hmm. um, there there is, yeah, like you said, there is a kind of system they've come up with. And there's one PowerPoint presentation from a .gov site, right. Elphis. Um and they their scales on zero to ten. Yeah. But they've broken up into kind of like one, two, three, four, five subsections. Okay. So this basically goes from like 100 percent human interaction to high level human with low level tactical behavior mm-hmm. and simple environment uh, responsibilities by the autonomy, yeah. and then there's your mid level, which is mid complexity multifunction, which is I think the level two that that Tesla's uh, is designed for. Yeah. And then the next level is low level human interaction, where it's com- com- collaborative, high complexity, difficult environment, and then your last level is approaching zero human interaction yeah so um yeah there's kind of like anywhere from three to five levels depending on how you if you consider the endpoints like you know no human interaction 100 uh human interaction as levels as well yeah but you kind of three main main sub levels in there so right it's yeah volvo's thing is kind of weird it's almost like they're saying oh well we could have done that like <laughs> we, <laughs> we just haven't yeah, yet not yet yeah but but you wait you know (laughs) (laughs) it's it's like the reason we don't have this yet is because we're working on something better yeah yeah. but it's yeah it's to be seen and i don't doubt that you know every car manufacturer you know to be hyperbolic but every car manufacturer will have some form of autonomy in their cars going forward um even if it's as simple as you know the Mm self-parking type thing um but yeah it's it's almost the kind of thing where people will be looking for that when they're buying a new vehicle Yeah, for sure um, you know, the used, used vehicle market will still be around. And there will always be non-autonomous functionality in vehicles as long as there's used cars. But <laughs> yeah, going you'll, you'll see a convergence of, of autonomy, even if it's aftermarket mm-hmm. autonomy. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you can start installing that type of system. Because, yeah, it, it is all just computer-based uh, functionality, so y- you can easily retrofit a car with that. Right. Um, so, e- easily, relatively, yeah. versus... Yeah. You know changing out an engine or something like that
0: yeah there's there was a there's a tech podcast i listened to accidental tech podcast they're they're all kind of car guys they started it's called accidental tech podcast because it used to be a car podcast called neutral and so with this kind of the whole all the apple car rumors they tend to talk a lot about apple because that's the ecosystem they're all in um with the talk of apple car they they're like getting back into the car stuff and mentioning they mentioned a really good point in i think the last episode possibly one or two ago uh, about self-driving cars In that yes cars like tesla can handle highway driving and even kind of traffic in downtown which they don't recommend you use it for but it, it does work like they've people have taken demo videos of them driving you without their hands on the wheel in traffic and it seems fine like in in stop and go traffic but the thing that they were saying is that even when there's a car that can handle highway driving with literally no human interaction. It doesn't necessarily mean they can handle driving down like a rural street or driving in a parking lot to go find a parking space because like the, and Tesla has their summon feature that lets the car, like it'll map your entire driveway and garage and all that. And so it can park in a very tight space, but you wouldn't be able to like a 12 year old child wouldn't be able to get into a car, say go to daycare or something And the car would be able to pull out of the driveway, pull onto the road and like go through intersections, navigate all that, and then pull into like find an open parking space and pull into it. It like it would take a long time for an autonomous car to be able to do all of all of those little things, even if it can do 99% of tasks for a car to be truly autonomous. It has to be able to do anything that a human driver can do. And that includes finding a parking space. Because otherwise, what use is a car if it gets to the parking lot and then goes, all right, you're here. <laughs> like, even right. if it would need GPS to that level right. where it can't give up GPS, like if you've ever used a GPS device, which I'm sure you have driving, it just says yeah. once you get within 100 feet or something of the destination, it's like you have arrived. And yeah. but a self-driving car has to do more than that. It has to get you get you into the space where you're going to park and put the car in park and turn off the engine and all of that
1: yeah it's i've encountered times where i'll navigate using google maps or ways mm-hmm. or whatever to get to say like a stadium mm-hmm. or a lrt uh station mm-hmm. to catch a train and i'll put in my my google maps and it comes up and start navigating it's like okay sweet start going there and as i'm driving there i'm realizing it's taking me to either a different entrance or the marker on Google Maps is pointed like literally right to the LRT yes. station, not to where you're supposed to park. Yep. So I have to like self navigate yeah. to where I have to park and all that kind of stuff. And thankfully I know my way around so I can actually do that. But if even if I was new to the city, I'd be like, where the heck is this taking me? I can't park here. Yep. So it's it's the kind of thing where you need to get the mapping technology to a point like you're alluding mm-hmm. to where you don't need to rely on your own abilities to drive and or navigate. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, if it's to be of any use to someone who can't drive or doesn't know the roads or whatever, you need the car to be able to do that themselves. Yeah. Um it, it reminded me of – there's a show called Daniel Tiger. I don't know if you've ever heard no. of it or, or seen it. But it's a kid's show and there's like this little trolley um, that kind of goes around to houses and it takes the characters to whatever place and it pulls up to their house. They say, oh, to the doctor's office, trolley, <laughs> ding, ding, and it goes to the doctor's <laughs> right. office. So, it's it's kind of like they have their own level of autonomy there. Yeah. So, I think – I'm looking forward to the point where we'll have our own, our own trolleys <laughs> that we can just summon yeah. and say to wherever. And it takes you there. I
0: had a, I had a, an anecdote from last fall where I was driving to the mall, a mall called Bayshore that I hadn't, I'd been to, but I'd never driven to it before. And so I had plugged it in a, just a pin on my, uh, on Google maps and hit go. I didn't really look at the, the end map before, and it's right next to the highway. And so it got me to exit the oh, highway no. and I was like okay that's that's good I'm off the highway now and then it had me turn left but then right off on the off ramp it was just like you have arrived and I was still <laughs> almost on the highway and by the time I had made that left turn Unbeknownst to me, the only option I had once I had made that left turn was to turn on the on ramp back onto the highway. So right. I had to take, go like five kilometers down the road to the next exit and then loop back around to get to the mall. Whereas it, the GPS was just like, yeah, you, you made it to the mall. We did our job and, and nothing went wrong here. But <laughs> for, from my perspective, anyone who had never been to the area before or had never done that particular route before and didn't have that knowledge in their head that they couldn't make that left turn because like it just wouldn't work that pin being in that spot for googling bayshore mall on google maps would mean that everyone who had done that had made the same mistake as me and that is never caught as a bug or an edge case or anything because there's no feedback mechanism of like this route didn't work in the way you were expecting it to
1: right well that's you know going off on even a greater tangent i found ways is good yeah. for being able to edit maps but the problem i had cuz i've i've played around with it for a little bit and eventually went back to google maps because their their location searching functionality mm-hmm. was left to be desired right. but the uh the ability to flag where there's a map error
0: mm, and yeah.
1: the response for them to they, they literally interact with you and say oh so what's the issue that you're seeing with this map and there's local you know calgary-based ways editors yeah. that will go in and make changes for you and that kind of thing and you can be a map editor yourself even if you yeah. wanted to but um it's a very interactive thing whereas with google i found like i've flagged locations before and sometimes it's like oh no we found that there's no issue here <laughs> i'm just like uh there is actually I actually reported an issue <laughs>
0: that's a real issue uh yeah, yeah.
1: and the, i've we've had times where i'll search like tim hortons and it'll show up on the map as location. I'll navigate there, and it's like a corporate headquarters. Right, it's not yeah. an actual restaurant location. It's like, guys, come on, <laughs> like, and like those I usually don't flay because it's like, oh, whatever. Yeah, man. yeah. It's it, the ability to to customize or not even customize, but just have it be correct based on user feedback is not as good with Google. Yeah,
0: well, and we would be remiss without pointing this out: the fact that Waze was bought by Google a few years ago. And so they source their a lot of their like if you see a tra- an accident or construction on Google Maps it's because someone reported it on Waze. So Waze is kind of like the oh, beta okay. of Google Maps in terms of mapping software itself, like mm. the back end part. Waze right. is where they get that information. So anytime you report an error to Waze, Google will be incorporating that into their software in the future. Whereas the Google Maps engineers are looking for something that's very obviously mm-hmm. visually wrong or that there's like some kind of mistake with the surface level stuff but the the underlying mechanism is all like powered a lot by Waze now because they they were bought a few years ago and kind of incorporated things into the the system. I assume right. that's why Waze and Google or like Waze wasn't shut down and its features brought into Google Maps because they're pretty different services even though they're both on on one level mapping GPS type software.
1: Huh. So it's almost like Waze is a beta version of Google Maps almost.
0: But like the just the back end part. The front end, they're totally different because the one like Waze has, you can report red light cameras, radar, all all that kind of stuff. Construction. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it, it very much is like a real live beta of Google maps where Google maps is like the, the surface source for everyone. Anyone can use Google maps and be totally fine except for these edge cases. Whereas Waze, when you hit an edge case, you'd report that edge case because you're kind of going for this beta feedback type experience. It's almost like a beta layer for the real world. In terms of driving navigation, huh? But Yeah, it's
1: interesting. It's, yeah, because I yeah. forgot about that whole Google buying mm-hmm. Waze. Because I remember that when Waze was pretty much restricted to just like Egypt and yeah, like those places where there might not have been as good Google Maps yep. mapping. But then we started getting coverage in other areas, such as Calgary or whatever, yeah. and and by that point, I'd forgotten that Google bought them. But yeah, that's that's a good point that you're
0: yeah. that you're out there yeah so and to close this up and go back to tesla for a second for myself anyways the the fact that volvo is working on this and throwing shade at tesla um we know that volvo is working on this because now they've said we're working on this fully autonomous thing tesla is also working on more autonomous stuff and it, it remains to be seen like they said for sure uh that autopilot would be on all model threes by default i think they said it was going to be on like at least the basic autopilot features right now you have to pay i think it's three thousand extra dollars to get uh autopilot turned on on like the model s unless i think the ones that you buy if you buy it now it includes it but back when it first launched it was in beta and you had to pay more for it past a certain point um it's interesting that they did it that way because obviously the development of that technology takes time and money um But this is the kind of thing where they don't necessarily want a bunch of cars in their fleet to have these potentially dangerous technologies that people aren't used to. Like, they want to have it be limited at the start to gather data, but gather it slowly. And only among testers that know what they're getting themselves into. Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm assuming you listened to the latest or one of the latest uh, Hello Internets where Gray was speculating on the Tesla 3 being the first fully autonomous model. And he, re- he referenced the fact that, yeah, that all the threes will have the, the basic yeah. uh, um, autopilot. So it, it, to me, it almost sounded like when you buy a phone counting on it being updated <laughs> to the next operating system. Like it's, and I, I don't think anyone would ever buy a car expecting it to be fully autonomous. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't anyway. Unless it was announced,
0: ridiculous. And shown off. Unless it was announced, of course.
1: But even then, it's like, oh yeah, it will. But it's like, yeah, I've had enough experience with phones (laughs) that
0: you can't always count on that. Yeah, pre-launch. By the time the the Model Three actually gets updated and people can start ordering and putting together their stuff, I presume it will be different and better in certain ways, and that includes the software that goes into Autopilot. Like there will be, there may not be the next level of announcement yet where they're saying we have these autopilot features ready and you don't need to ever touch your steering wheel. In fact, it doesn't have a steering wheel. In fact, it can fly now also. Like there there's <laughs> going to be something, but it's not going to necessarily be this huge step forward. It will just be kind of baby steps. I I assume. Right.
1: Do we know what mapping system Tesla
0: relies on or will rely on? I think they have it's mostly proprietary software cuz it it learns on its own. It so it reads lane markers. in lane and it kind of senses traffic around you but that it learns itself like it's very it's very is it low level it's not using any mapping data like gps Uh, like there might be a gps system but it's not using that to drive it's just driving on this in this lane of this road that you're on and i just mean if you're navigating somewhere right like and it knows to turn left or right uh it doesn't the, do that i don't think i think once you're getting off a oh, highway okay. quote-unquote like once you have to make a turn it doesn't handle that it only handles curves in the road you're on and like oh, okay it, you can like tap while you're in autopilot mode you can tap like change lanes and it can handle that right but i don't think it handles um like making any kind of turns other than like summoning and parking
1: so there's no native mapping and navigation system there'd be navigation but vehicles? not in
0: conjunction with autopilot
1: Oh, okay, so you're still doing all the yeah. steering and like stuff.
0: it's for highway or one road driving right. so far.
1: And the navigation, I'm I'm assuming is Google data or it, presumably or like there's there's a few
0: <laughs> there's even a few mapping sources like I think Digital Ocean is one of them. Maybe that's just for oceans. Um, okay, that has like that provide mapping data right. to Google as well. So they presumably provide it to other people. But I, as far as I know, right. Tesla isn't powered by Google Maps. I don't think
1: right. Similar to like Blue Marble, like Blue Marble is another like mapping uh, company that provides data to to bigger or to other companies to use in in
0: further detail. So, okay. So, yeah, um, I'm interested to see Honda's autopilot system, but until it actually exists, I'm going to assume it's not as good as Tesla's.
1: (laughs) Right. If if, until until they put their money where their mouth is or show their their hand anyway. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, The last piece of follow up I had here is following up on something that was. A long time ago that we talked about on the show um and i think it was you that brought it up right yeah yeah uh this thing called scihub where it was one woman that had amassed a bunch of papers right i assume this project is now bigger than her but maybe it's right. not
1: <laughs> yeah because
0: they're saying now the scale of this Sci-Hub, like it's called they call it an academic paper piracy site i don't know if i really want to categorize it that like i would say most major journals are kind of pirating like profiting (laughs) off of other people's success too obviously that's the whole the way the system's set up so it's not illegal or anything but what she's doing how a
1: record label exactly
0: yeah right yeah enforcing control over their right quote-unquote artists in this case it's researchers right um but everyone in the academic community knows how if you've ever tried to google a research paper and you're not work like partnered with a uh like a big university or college it's going to cost you like. 30 bucks to 100 bucks, or some like uh, an exorbitant amount of money to look, even to rent, like look at a PDF of a document for 24 hours or something. If you want to buy it, it's just insanely expensive. And so, this Sci Hub uh, basically is crowdsourced papers. So, people buy them or institutions get them and then put them up on Sci Hub. And so, anyone who you, wants to look at this can just go to this pirated version of the paper. As opposed to the one from the actual journals, and the, this, the the update on it is saying that it's basically reaching a tipping point now, hub where science publishers are getting genuinely worried about their future of their business because it's become so popular and big. And there's the the, the headline here from TechCrunch is that there it's having its Napster moment, and that it's kind of reaching public consciousness in, in the researching research community. So I don't know. Have you, I don't know if you, did you, when you brought it up, did you say you had used it once or that you had just, it had come across your radar
1: off the record? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I may or may not have, have used it. Uh, it, uh, but yeah, I first heard about it and have heard that it works. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, like the, just to recap the, the way that it goes about obtaining these papers is when you look up a paper, it will find similar to how Uh, like a cody box
0: Mm, yeah
1: or uh or xbmc they'll have sources and they'll ping all the sources to see if it has that content and then it pulls that content so this does a similar thing and then it has login credentials for whichever sources that it goes and pulls that paper for you yeah um so I, i i'm assuming it's some sort of cataloging lookup system that it uses when you when you look up a paper Mm. and you literally just paste in a url of the thing that you're looking for and it does its thing and then says yeah we have it or oh no we don't have this yet yeah um so it's yeah, it's it's a building database of of papers and generally i think if it's a paper that's in the news and it's new enough Mm. it'll probably have it because someone would have requested it already and and they've sourced it so um yeah it, it works really well for when you read a news article and it's like, oh, to read more, here's the actual paper, and it links to the paid version, yeah. and you just look that up, and you
0: probably have it. Right. So, I I have a hard time because journals make so much money. I have a hard time feeling bad for them, similar to the way like music publishing came up the, the exact same kind of formula. And it, you're you're comparing it to Cody, which, as far as we talked about, isn't like it's gray area. It's not necessarily illegal to do that.
1: It's gray area in Canada, right? At least as far as I know. I don't know about other
0: other countries. And so, in theory, this would also fall into that same gray area. Yeah, unless there's well, and, and precedent it, about it.
1: Yeah, like in this case, if you use the Cody analogy, the person doing the streaming yeah. mm-hmm. isn't at fault or isn't doing anything illegal. So people hosting the content that's yeah. being streamed.
0: And so, so yeah.
1: in this case. I'm assuming that Sci-Hub itself would be the one doing the illegal thing. Yeah. You looking it up might not be. Right. I, I don't know about that. It,
0: yeah. It really depends if, if Sci-Hub is indexing the content or indexing the content right. providers or if they're the ones actually providing the content. And it sounds right. like she is or they are now just indexing right. papers from what you were saying, that there's different sources and it looks through them all.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um, if we want to extend this to the the Napster analogy, the way that artists now have built up their revenue model on relying on their touring yeah. and merchandise and that kind of thing to support them versus record sales. Mm-hmm. Because I think from what I've read in the past that artists treat releasing a record as advertisement for their tour, yeah. really, yeah. like that's, that's, that's not the revenue generation model is the record sales. So on the research side, if and again, I don't know what the economics are, but I'm assuming that universities or the researchers are making some money by selling their papers to these In journals. Theory, yeah. In theory, so if journals start seeing that they're not getting their their download counts or subscriptions, or whatever, right. now that this thing's around, is there an alternative for researchers to get? funding but again i i don't think i don't think researchers got funding or a ton of funding from journals right that again that was more maybe advertisement Mm -hmm. right like the funding comes from just normal funding right like sponsorships (laughs) in a sense i guess yeah like you could probably you probably know a bit more about it being on that side of things
0: i know some about it like for instance uh well yeah it it tends to be like you get government funding And the stipulation, at least in Canada with government funding, is that you make your research open. Uh, I think you, you can, like, you're welcome to do it immediately and recommended to do it immediately, but you are required now, if you get an ENSER grant at least, to make your funding or your, to make your published publications completely open and free within a year. Okay. Like, so they're trying to go as far as they can out of their way to say, yeah i get you can have an exclusive but really we want science to be something that's open and accessible to everyone which is the same goal as SciHub is having
1: it's that i was gonna say that's literally what scyhub is trying to do
0: so um
1: yeah like and and we've talked before about private funding and how some researchers run into to hurdles with with that and they've resorted to kickstarter or other (laughs) crowdfunding methods which have varied degrees of success but yeah i i don't I don't know enough about that side of things to know what things are involved in a private company deciding whether to invest in something. I, I'm assuming there just has to be an upside for the private company yeah. for them to make that that decision, whether it's advertising and exposure or actually they're getting something out of the research itself. Right. Um, like I know uh, Nick said before about how I think it was a vehicle, an auto company that was investing in a, a type of research on whatever. I can't even yeah, remember what yeah. it is at this point, but it it's they have a benefit for that research being done because it could potentially help them, and it's and if they could have a thing of a first writer refusal uh clause in there on that research, yeah, so whether they're gonna you know buy the patent or whatever yeah type thing, so yeah, as far as sci concerned i I hope it motivates a change in the industry, yeah um and for the time being until sciHub is literally shut down <laughs> the same way Napster was <laughs> um. Which, from the what it sounds like, they've been able to dodge it pretty well. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, the, yeah, this paper, or sorry, this, this, uh, this article on TechCrunch that I found, that I came across, is coming from uh, an original report, paper, uh, study, thing written by science, like the journal Science. <laughs> and so th- they're well aware of the, the thing, and, they're, and the, like Sci-Hub is being very open about what they're doing and yeah. the only thing that i see here like they're kind of coloring the like sci hub as bad like co- it's like the title of the article is who's downloading pirated papers everyone it's like they're they're making it very clear that it's piracy and that like the the header image of this article uh on science is this black map of the, the earth with red dots it looks like like if you ever seen those nuclear test maps where they say like right as as like every blip on this map is a nuclear bomb going off it looks like that but with papers being accessed it's just like all over the earth this is happening all the time and it just makes it clear to me that this is necessary because there are definitely parts of the world where people are doing research or want to do research but don't have the funds to be accessing or to be coming up with uh levels of uh like they're not going to pay for each paper they're going to want to be able to access any paper that this journal or this network of journals has but they can't afford to pay the thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars that actually requires and so going to scihub is a way that those groups can access all research
1: you would be a very meta thing (laughs) what's that if someone used scihub to download this science paper (laughs) on how bad scihub is
0: (laughs) i've never i'm sure
1: someone's already done that
0: i've never heard someone you pronounce that word meta i'm very
1: versus meta yeah it's meta
0: i've never heard it pronounced that way
1: really i always pronounce
0: it meta interesting like data and data right (laughs) so yeah i i have never actually used scihub myself being i got out of the research community before it ever came up but it definitely seems like the thing i would do now if i did need to go because that that probably will happen at some point working at ncerc doing data analysis yeah that i'll have to go and download a paper yeah. and if i can't get it then probably going to do this
1: right well like i said if if a site or an article references a paper like they're writing a story on a paper <clears throat> i generally want to see at least the abstract yeah. of the original paper like yeah. the full abstract and that's what this could be used for, because those ones i'm not going to pay for if if I really was using a paper for work, then I would consider paying for it mm-hmm. or the company would consider paying for it, but for the average you know media consumer they're not going to just pay for papers every time they want to you know cross reference a story right um, and I guess as a final note or thought, as a researcher, you probably still want the satisfaction of being published in an actual journal like science or nature or whatever so i don't see journals going away the same way record labels haven't gone away right but i'm hoping that yeah, it becomes more open, yeah. and it's the kind of thing that I'd even be okay with there being, you know, a ten paper per month,
0: <laughs> yeah, account
1: sure. or t- whatever, right? Yeah. or or they only release the abstract, and to read the full paper you need to pay for it. Which I yeah think after is, ten that, that was that after ten you or whatever, yeah, yeah like I because I, I think right now a lot of journals will let you read yeah the, the abstract. abstract is usually free, yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it changes. Yeah, that's the bottom line, and I think that's the whole point of this project anyway
0: yeah because
1: they're not making any money off of it at least as far as no
0: i don't I, i don't see how they would be unless they have agreements in place with certain publishers the the last piece of that is to like the fact that there are open journals now there are journals that say you can submit papers to us for free and we'll publish them openly for free and that's a that's a that is a thing so we'll see if it's similar to independent record labels but not necessarily as open Mm -hmm. but it definitely there is a move in that direction at least yeah yeah so uh did you want to talk a bit about your um the story that's been in the notes for a really really long time that we have never gotten to
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i actually haven't really heard much about this in the news in general except for the one day that it was kind of announced yeah um there was a a project or a funding initiative called Breakthrough Listen that we had talked about um, previously, where there was funding from this guy named Yuri Milner mm-hmm. to use two uh, radio telescopes to listen for anything. Yep. Um, part of the SETI initiative, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Is it
0: SETI? For this particular project? I'm not sure. The,
1: the Breakthrough Listen one.
0: Uh, I would assume so.
1: I think it was, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it was the kind of thing where that was huge for them because otherwise they would not have anything basically. Mm-hmm. So this is what sounds like a second half of that uh, funding initiative yeah. called Breakthrough Starshot, where they're essentially sh- like firing a bunch of micro satellites into space mm-hmm. to see what they encounter, um, kind of like a spray and pray yeah approach yeah. to the whole thing which again is is better than nothing and that's kind of all you can do at this point because we're not really i i think they're semi-targeting the shot mm-hmm. um like there there's literally a laser that's gonna steer these satellites right so so that they're gonna be directed towards something mm-hmm. um i guess into an area that they're they're hoping is is something to see mm-hmm. but the uh it's a hundred million dollar funding and when this came out you had everyone or a lot of people saying, oh, that money could be, you know, put to way, way better use. There's, you know, starving people wherever and whatnot, not. But it's like, well, yeah, yeah, but, you know, you could say that about anything. hundred million is not that goes. much money. <laughs> yeah. In the grand scale of things, yeah. it's not that much money with in comparison to other things that get funded yeah. that are a lot more stupid than this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing where you might find nothing but you might find something too and i think the ben the pros of finding something are are a lot higher than than if you didn't do it at all yeah yeah um yeah so they're yeah they call them like nanocraft or or however you want to call it but it's not like they're super you know tiny tiny but relative to a regular satellite they're they're pretty
0: small yeah it the the tough thing about this as we get further and further like going to pluto is hard enough to just aim for where Pluto is going to be like 10 years down the road to be able to get as high resolution images as new horizons got going for something like even the closest star, which is apparently one of their goals, uh alpha Centauri system that's four light years away. And it says in the article there that like 30,000 years uh, is how long it would take us to get there at current technology speeds. Uh, there's this big topic in space travel, I guess, or faster quote unquote, faster than light travel, that people are hesitant to send craft at the speeds that we're able to get to now like what new horizons is able to get to which was really fast because in if in 10 years we develop some technology that can go twice as fast then sending the original craft was a complete waste because over thirty thousand years something that takes 10 years longer is nothing and so the idea is at a certain point even, say, a th- if a 1,000 years down the road, we come up with a way that can get to the nearest star in 500 years, it's still going to be way faster than that, even 15,000 years. And so there, at a certain point, there's going to be a tipping point. If, if it takes us 30,000 years to come up with something that can get there faster than light and say, nine months, then right. we should wait the 30,000 years because otherwise we'll be wasting effort for those 30,000 years if that's when we're going to develop the technology. And obviously, this is all like big guessing game. But the current theory is mostly on the side of the fact that it's only four light years away. If our current technology can get there in 30,000 years, we should spend a pretty good portion of that 30,000 years trying to diminish the amount of time it would take. But on the other hand, if we don't really max out that fast, we don't want to spend 10,000 years getting it down to only taking 20,000 years because then, then we're not really saving any time. So it's, it's this whole guessing game of trying to figure out, how fast our technology is going to advance whether we're going to get to some huge breakthrough where like faster than light travel if you look at like star wars or star trek where they have either like transporters or faster than light travel you can't you can't make that comparison if if we ever get to that technology there's no use in even having this argument
1: yeah i guess i don't know enough about star trek to know but I'm assuming that even with a transporter, like there's still a speed limit on information, isn't there? In Star Trek, like, unless unless they're like entangled, so like particles yeah. where where it's literally like instantaneous. It's instantaneous. Information like
0: it, it's basically in Star Trek. At least my understanding is that it's instantaneous, and it's not really ever explained in terms of any science that exists in the world. Right. But they were saying that the whole thing is, oh, you know. Uh, transporters are very limited they only work over a certain distance um and there are rules like both things have to be stationary um you can't like if something is moving at light speed you can't transport to it There, there are all these rules with transporting in the like tv shows and the original material but then in the newest movie the newest original star trek movie they were able to take uh like two people or three people or whatever like simon Pegg being one of them and transport them onto a ship moving faster than light that was like super far away and it's it's like basically why do we have spaceships at that point if you can transport things to like any distance any speed and at that point the the entire concept of transporting things through space via non teleportation methods is just a waste of time and so if if we ever get to a technology like that then space travel itself becomes redundant because we can just transport a craft, like a habisphere or whatever, to anywhere in the solar system, and we'll just be there. And if we tra- if we if we use the 3D printing analogy, and we send a transporter in a transporter, then we can get we can colonize the entire universe instantly. But obviously, the reality is well, not obviously. in in our understanding of the universe that kind of thing is impossible at least according to the current laws of physics and so it would need we need to make some amazing discovery like how to some something like traveling through higher dimensions would be needed to travel and this like starts just melting your brain thinking about it but at our current technology we're looking at tens of thousands of years to get to even something that's very close whereas if you had faster than light travel. Getting to something that is four light years away would take less than four years, mm-hmm. and yeah. So there's there's a balance in there between four and thirty thousand years where we we should launch a spacecraft, and we're not right. we're much closer. To, we're at the thirty thousand years now. Who knows if in ten thousand years we'll be even we'll be close to that that uh, four years distance? Right. Like it just it's impossible to predict
1: to put some distances and time frames to this uh, breakthrough mm-hmm. uh, breakthrough Starshot project they're just reading this article a bit further they're actually targeting Alpha Centauri which yeah.
0: is the yeah, closest star system uh, Proxima Centauri is the closest that that was my mistake when I first said it Alpha Centauri is close but not or is Alpha Centauri one of the proxima Centauri system I can't remember
1: this this article says it's the closest star system to our own okay and i've I've heard that same thing before so that seems to check out yeah
0: um, I'm questioning myself now not you
1: <laughs> okay and again this article quotes that the spacecraft would take twenty years to reach the star system,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then yeah, so it take another four years to come back. So that that's the four light years number that you're referring yeah, to. Yeah. Um. So yeah, best case, you'd be waiting about twenty five years to hear back from this this original release of of spacecraft right. if anything is mm-hmm. found. Um. And th- like you're saying, it takes today's fastest spacecraft thirty thousand years to accomplish the same feat. Yep. So that's where the nano spacecraft with the light sails and laser guidance is a lot of a better option than sending out a spacecraft now because yeah, you're way further ahead doing this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, so I guess Proxima Centauri is, uh, with, yeah, there's, there's two other stars that are right near it, a binary Alpha Centauri. So they're all right next to each other, basically. Right. There's three total stars. Okay. Uh, oh, that's nice. Nice. Wikipedia has a beautiful little thing. Yeah. They're both about 4.2 or something light years away, which is what I had remembered. Uh, so yeah, it's all very interesting. I, space is so cool. I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago about just how interesting space is. And they're like, you're such a nerd. What is happening? And I'm like, no, seriously, space is amazing. It, yeah. The fact that it's so big and you can start to get into like, we're learning all kinds of stuff to do with particle physics and the early universe and big bang and uh what was the other thing gravitational waves like all these big discoveries are coming out now and we're kind of in a renaissance of space exploration and space science just so fun to be alive at this time
1: yeah when the best thing is in these endeavors you know even as making these tiny spaceships to or satellites to go out to explore space Mm. in the development of these And in the discovery of information that they find, you end up discovering other things that are, you know, quote unquote, more relevant to to today's problems. You know, you can say that space exploration is a waste of money, but it's like, well, a lot of things that we have today wouldn't have been discovered or invented unless the space exploration was what was causing that invention.
0: Yeah, it's very true. So, um this next story that i have doesn't really relate to anything that we've talked about so far and it's actually quite a divergence from our usual topic but i just thought it was an interesting thing and um having to do with apps and credit cards like we all at least i think about money all the time like i have my really complicated budget spreadsheet and that the limiting factor for me in financial planning has always been the fact that credit cards are seriously outdated Um, specifically the technology behind like bank websites in relation to credit cards i know that there are some cards like capital one i know for instance does this where once as soon as you make a transaction it shows up on the capital one website like when you log Mm -hmm. into your banking system it shows your credit card transaction immediately whereas td which i've been using for my entire life or since i was 18 at least when i got my credit card and before that with the debit card debit has always worked like that where you make a debit transaction it shows up immediately but credit cards they authorize the transaction but it doesn't actually go through for three or four business days and so in trying to come up with my forecasting i'm having to like try to remember back what i spent or having to try to guess or estimate numbers and this past week td rolled out an app called my spend which they ascribe as being a financial management app so It looks at your purchases and it like slots things in. So if you go to the grocery store, if you go to like Loblaws or Superstore or whatever, it logs that as being groceries. Like it it has categorized all vendors into Mm -hmm. different categories, utilities, groceries, fine dining, fast food, whatever. Like it, it splits everything into categories. But the biggest thing for me with this app is that when I spend something on my credit card, It before I can even like I walk out of a store having or a restaurant having made a purchase, I get my phone out to like look at Twitter or send a text message or something. And the transaction shows up. It sends me a push notification says you spent money here. This is how much and you can go into this my spend app. This is something that's not available on the main TD app. You go into my spend app and it shows you all the pending transactions in addition to all your regular transactions. And so it lets you plan on a much more granular level. Your financial spending. And not only that, it lets me, for instance, keep track of things that I'm buying and all the transactions I'm making in real time in my budgeting spreadsheet. So I don't have to do any kind of guesswork. And I have to assume, I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts on this, but I have to assume that this is making its way into the TD, like banking system in general, where you're going to be able to see petting transactions in the ways that other major credit cards have.
1: Yeah. Like, pc mastercard has the same thing mm-hmm. not the app but they'll show your transaction at least same day i haven't you know checked to see how quickly it mm-hmm. is but i'll i'll spend something one day and then we will text me and be like oh did you buy something wherever because she'll look at the credit card statement um right. before she pays it to make sure that all the transactions seem okay yep um just in a fraud sense not in yeah a, why did you spend that sense sure <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, and, and it'll, be, it'll be something I bought like literally hours before. And it's like, oh yeah, that was today. And yeah. she's like, oh, okay, good. Like just to make sure. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cool that it shows up that quickly. Because yeah, like you were saying, it takes a couple of days for it to actually go through. Mm-hmm. But it will show up on the credit card uh, online summary as, as a pending transaction. Yeah. Um, I personally or or we personally don't use any sort of budgeting tracking, okay. so to speak. Like we have, I guess what you'd call a budget. Like we have an idea... Of how much things should cost every month. Right. And if the credit card bill is higher one month to another, it's like, oh what, what did we spend? It's like, oh, we we bought that big purchase or mm. oh we put a deposit on this or whatever. And it's like, okay, that kind of makes sense. So it's not to the point where, you know, I go out and say, Oh, I spent, you know, five bucks on this lunch and you know, I'll have to walk down. It's like, oh, do I have like, you know, enough of a budget for this? And and you know, I'm f- we're fortunate that we're not in a position to do that. I can yeah. understand that some people might wanna be. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think an app like this is is useful. If you are, like you said, on a more granular level, trying to control and monitor your spending, if, right. if you don't know where it's coming from, yeah. Um, like a lot of people have their own systems as well, like spreadsheets or yeah, or whatnot. Um, and and yeah, I think having an app that can read your your statements and categorize things and that kind of thing is a really good thing. And from what I've heard from other financial planning sources that that is the best way to do it. It's not worth saying, Oh, I spent this much on, you know, produce this much on yeah. toiletries. Yeah. It's like you go to the grocery store. That's how much you spent on groceries. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, over time it averages out. And, and that's all you really care about is that kind of moving average, not, Oh, I'm spending too much on toothpaste. Right. Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's not worth the effort to kind of go into that unless you look into your cupboard. You have like 50 tubes of toothpaste. It's like, Oh, maybe I don't need that much. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I'm hoping that this is a more uh widespread thing that yeah, that, ca- sure. that credit card companies will be doing. And I'd love for there to be a MasterCard one, like a PC MasterCard right. one. That's that's what we use. And if they had that, i totally like look at that and be mm-hmm. like, Oh, this month to last month I spent more, you know, on fast food. Yeah. And then kind of just keep that in mind and be like, Well, why did I spend more? And it's like, was it because I was too lazy to like make lunch that day? Was it because we were just busy that day and you know weren't around at home or whatever right? right and and those are the kind of things that you might try to keep in more mind more the next month and say well you know i don't need to eat out right now we're heading home and we can just wait yeah if that's the kind of thing but
0: i i love the idea of getting a push notification like i don't spend enough times per day that a push notification for every time i spend money on my credit card would be annoying mm-hmm. i'd much rather have that when if someone made a fraudulent transaction on my credit card i would want to know by push notification like i'm i'm happy getting those right <clears throat> and it, I, I i haven't used it really i've only had it for a few days now i haven't had it i've never had credit card fraud taken on my account anyways but it i'm really in, intrigued to sa- see how it changes my kind of financial outlook
1: yeah for us like because it's a joint credit card it wouldn't work as well because pretty much every time there's this transaction from the other person it kind of send panic if right. that's what you're worried about yeah, yeah. it's like wait huh, who's spending it? like where was that like i'd be okay if it was like oh there's a transaction orig- originating from wherever and it's like right. uh neither of us are there right now yeah yeah <laughs> and and that's actually what happened i think i was telling you guys how um our bank account like the actual like debit yeah. bank account was flagged because are transactions like withdrawal withdrawals coming from like the philippines or indonesia right and they call us like ah, uh, so uh we have these transactions. Can you just take a look at it? And it was, yeah, sure enough, it was withdrawals. It was like, yeah, mm. that wasn't us. Definitely and, not. <laughs> and it was flagged by their system because it was in like the withdrawals were in random like Canadian currencies. It was like you know fifty two dollars and thirty five cents. Like, obviously, that's not an ATM withdrawal. That's even possible. Yeah. In yeah. Canada, but because of the conversion rate, that's what it worked out to be. Right. And was, like, you know, an even number of huh. you know Indonesian currency or whatever. Right. Right so i i'm sure that was baked into their system <laughs> to flag that yeah um so i i'm okay relying on the bank to flag it especially because generally they're the ones that are liable yeah. for that type of thing so but yeah I, I can see how having push notifications would be useful if if that's something you're trying to yeah to be and aware of
0: i think like, you can control which accounts it actually monitors like which accounts okay. are built into the app so you could do it on an account by account basis. Right. It, the the thrust of this app is supposed to be for like basic financial planning. Like it lets you put things in categories and see where you're spending a lot. And it compares your spending to like previous months. Yeah. But the only thing that I use it for is like, I love these push notifications saying that <laughs> I've spent some money. Right.
1: It's, and it's almost like a subconscious feedback. And I guess you could consider a kind of a, just an additional reminder that you're spending money. It's like almost seeing the money come out of your account. Yeah so is one thing to you know tap your card and it's done but if you get a push notification, like, you spent this much it's like oh i did like yeah. and it, if, yeah. if it's something that you maybe were hesitant to spend or you know well whatever then it's like kind of that reinforcement of double checking if that was something that you wanted to buy yeah kind of
0: so i really like this app but i and i want to see the functionality extended to the actual like td website because it's really annoying and i've been saying this for years and when i heard the capital one had the, the a thing where you can see pending transactions on like online banking i was immediately jealous and just thinking about getting a credit card that did that and so if td does that then then get on them which it seems like they're going to because they have the back-end functionality built in so yeah yeah I, i'm gonna see i'll see how this works out and maybe follow up if i have more issues or more things to say about it okay so how about one more here? I, I want to hear this story about the Earl's restaurant because we both have a vested in- interest in that company.
1: Right. <laughs> I don't know about vested interest, but. Well, we, like, ha-
0: we have had at one point in our lives yeah. a vested interest in the company that owns yes. Earl's.
1: Yeah. So this was the latest slacktivism uh, situation that we've had mm-hmm. uh, more locally in Calgary and and Alberta as a whole. Right. And I guess Canada in a greater sense, but mostly Calgary and Alberta, that the Earl's restaurant chain, who apparently have U.S. locations, I think. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, they're in Canada. And they, you know, obviously serve food and beef. And they recently came out and said that they've moved to a U.S. beef provider mm-hmm. instead of using Alberta beef. And the reason for that is because they're trying to move to certified humane beef, which is a certification system that um, looks at steroid-free, uh, no antibiotic, you know, humane treatment, et cetera, et cetera, right. of the beef, you know, that they're sourcing. And they actually tried to keep it to Alberta, but they had to use multiple beef providers that met the standard, mm-hmm. like to, in order to meet the volume that met the standard. And even then they still couldn't beat that volume. Huh. So they've, they've said that they're moved to a, US, a sole U S supplier for their certified humane beef. Okay. Um, and of course there's, there's the outrage saying, you know, you're not using Alberta beef. Like how could you, it's the best beef in the world support Alberta pr- producers. And yeah, this is probably at, like, you know, if not overtly, but at least behind the scenes, a business decision, because yeah. it makes way more sense to do a large volume with one producer Yeah. Then multiple producers that can't even meet your volume for that certified humane sure. uh, rating that you're looking for. Um, but everyone was taking, you know, taking to Twitter and spreading it around and saying hashtag boycott earls, hashtag, <laughs> et cetera. Well, it's like, guys, like, and, and then, you know, of course, there's the other side saying, well, a, you really didn't look into or care where your food was coming yeah. from to begin with. Yeah. It's only because it's in the news and you're like aware of it. And then, you know, I, I don't know how true these things were, but it was saying that, you know, the keg only uses Alberta beef for 7% of their cuts. And, uh, you right. know, AW only uses Alberta beef for X percent of their products, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep. this isn't just Earl's that right. is using U.S. beef. Um, you know, yeah, they, they might be using no Alberta beef now because they're trying to meet the standard. But like you can't just you know boycott everyone that's not using Alberta beef because then you wouldn't be able to eat anywhere. Right. So it's like, to me, it shows more a downside of social media and the internet yeah, because yeah. you know with anything like this, like when it's stupid stuff, like <laughs> <laughs> like I think there's important issues that social media benefits where it's awareness and gets people talking about it, whatever. But this kind of thing is like. When has anyone, you know, except for the very small minority and, you know, where that's part of their lifestyle to, you know, be aware of where there's, you know, food, clothing, whatever is coming from. Mm -hmm. But the average person probably doesn't know and really shouldn't care where their
0: stuff is coming from. Right. And to a certain extent, I agree. There is something to be said for the environment to eat relatively locally, but caring that your beef was raised in Alberta, like to be Alberta proud and like support the Canadian industry, if it's financially better to do, or like in, in in this case, supply chain, it sounds like they, Alberta doesn't have enough beef at the prices that Earl's need to pay for the cuts they want. Then you're that either are
1: certified humane. Yeah.
0: That you're yeah. either going to cause. I mean, I guess if you're going to cause uh, a stir over this, it would probably be more productive To cause a stir to say, hey, Alberta beef providers, get your act together and do these things because you're losing to you like you're losing business. But this move is just targeting Earls when Earls didn't do anything except try to save their customers some money and give them a good like humane product.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's kind of what I took away from it is this should be a sign. You know, I haven't looked into the certified humane thing, but whether so, you know, BS. Yeah designation
0: yeah certified humane targeting a thing to be like steroid free antibiotic free all this like encapsulating humane as in like a catch-all for environmentally conscious
1: yeah well that's the thing like i have a friend who is actually a cattle rancher and he was saying that at least at his ranch you know yeah they are you know hormone free they only use antibiotics when they're sick because Mm. that's a good time to use
0: antibiotics that's that's why they exist yeah
1: (laughs) um you know, and, and like, they're, they're not inhumanely, but they might not meet this standard. Right. But, and so, and I don't know anything about it to you know whether that's a realistic or a beneficial standard mm-hmm. to even meet. Yep. Um, it'd be kind of like, you know, Alberta oil, like there's a big thing about oil being dirty and whatever. And, yeah. you know, it's like, well, a, it's not as dirty as you think. And is that even a realistic thing? Like, is it a meaningful yeah. way, like a bar to set kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, like like for me, the reason that I kind of wanted to talk about this was because it was like one day, like I think it was a couple of days ago, just randomly it was like, it was hashtag boycott Earls. Like, what the heck is this going on here? So I look into it more and it's like, what the... I, I, but it's, it's, it's beef and like, yeah. I just didn't understand this outrage over it. This the outrage, outrage directed at Earls. At Earls specifically. Yeah. It's like, guys, like it's... <laughs> It's like, don't you have anything better to do with your day than to get upset at a restaurant trying to make a business decision? Yeah. And, you know, at least on the surface, encourage, you know, cows to be treated more humanely. Like, if, if Alberta was literally just bad to the cows, it's like, would you want to be like, oh, well, you should use us anyway? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, maybe just change your practices if that was the case. Right. But I I don't know. I guess it's it's one of those outrages of the week that you see. and. Yeah. I I don't know what else to to say about it, but I I I'm not really one for boycotts. Like I went in last time I went into the liquor store and I was looking at you know what beer to buy and I grabbed this one variety pack and looked at it. I was like oh it's kind of looked interesting. And I wanted to know where it was brewed because I do like try to support the smaller breweries, yeah, yeah. Um, whatever. And this one was brewed in like New Brunswick, and I'm like. I kind of want to support a local brewery. So I picked up a case of Big Rock and, yeah. it was a you know, Alberta, Calgary brewery. And it had some good beers in it too. I was kind of debating between the two and I, I went for that one because I don't know, maybe it was a self-serving right. feel good moment for me, but I, I do like to f- think that I can mm-hmm. contribute to the success of these local breweries. But when it comes to, I, I wouldn't get mad at a beer store no. not <laughs> supplying a specific <laughs> brand of beer. It's like just, yeah. I don't know, like, it's just not worth it yeah. to me.
0: If if there are other restaurants that have, the, like, this more humane, no antibiotics, no steroids, beef from Alberta, by all means, go to that restaurant. But that's not boycotting Earls, and you shouldn't be boycotting Earls yeah. because they chose to make this decision. They didn't do anything wrong. If you want to make a different choice, you are welcome to exercise that right. And you are welcome to tell people, hey, this company does— have these things that Earls can't do, but organizing a boycott doesn't make any sense. It's not productive. <laughs> really, yeah. you're probably just reminding more people, like, "Oh, hey, Earls is pretty good." I remember we went there a few months ago. Yeah, and I liked it.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. It's like free publicity. Like, no one's going to remember this in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and people are gonna like just continue going to Earls. Like, no one's going to say, "No, I'm not eating there anymore." Yeah, like I would love to. Like, look at Chick Fil A. Yeah. when they they had that whole thing with their CEO or whoever. And it's like, no one remembers that anymore. People are still going to stop at Chick-fil-A if they're hungry. They're not going to be like, right. Oh no, I'm not going to eat there because whatever it's like.
0: Oh, and that, yeah, that was a slightly different thing. And I think some people have come to, yeah, like there's the, there's a whole boycotting target in North Carolina or like that their CEO or some high level member said, uh, was on the side of not letting transgender people use any of their washrooms oh really okay but like they they wanted them to only use the washroom that was the gender they were given at birth and there's a whole thing about this like that i get because it's actually affecting people's lives and so not shopping at target because of that seems like a much more valid reason than it's not like they were outsourcing their like their washrooms are from like california and they people wanted their north carolina washrooms it it doesn't it's not as reasonable to organize a boycott over such a weirdly specific thing as opposed to just taking your business to a place that does do that right yeah yeah that that kind of activism is very weird and people like getting on to like jumping on a bandwagon getting behind a cause but in this case it i don't think it's going to do what they think it is doing
1: yeah i agree
0: all right do you have anything else to to add this week
1: uh no i think that's pretty much covered most of it. i think
0: all right well in that case i will say thanks for listening to this week's future chat and uh we'll be back next week with more science and tech talk see you next time ciao